for about 50 minutes. I know if I do that, I start to get pins and needles. Do you want to just stand for a second, shake hands with the person next to you, say, hello, how are you going? Can't you just feel that circulation working? All right, thanks, people. Yeah, so how's your faith going? I mean, that, Lynette's been talking about it now for, and thanks for that, Lynette, that was fantastic. How's your faith? Pretty good. So is Jesus still the focus of your life? Do you ever think about your faith? How important it is? And what actually is faith? What actually is faith? Have you ever tried to convince someone that they need to take on faith in Jesus Christ? Have you? Yep. There's a lot of heads nodding. Be interested to know how you got on. Are we ready to step out in faith in Margaret River and in the church? So today... I want to try and get close to our faith, to explore it a bit. And then looking at Abraham and Sarah, to see how it's been around for a long time, that is, faith's been around for a long time, leading all the way to Jesus. And what it can mean to have faith in Jesus. So we see up on the screen, the first, and thank you, David, for your faith and our faith in technology. So Val and I were trying to get it up, couldn't get it up. David walks in, yeah, this is how you do it, easy. Now, faith is assurance in what we hope for and confident about what we do not see. So as you read all the different Bible Bibles, uh, the different types of Bibles, different translations, they all have different words. And that is because the, the word for, um, that they're using for assurance and confidence, hypostasis in the Greek, um, isn't translated well into English. It's a really strong and powerful word. And the English assurance, that's pretty powerful, but it's not the intention of that word. So, in the scripture up there, in verse 1 of chapter 11, Hebrews, we read a definition, not of faith, but of the nature of faith. Faith seems intangible, like you can't touch it. But today, I'm trying to get inside faith. 
touching faith, holding faith, living faith, because it's in faith that we are in God, in Christ, and sustained by the word and his promises. So as I said, the Greek word hypostasis, it's a very strong word, and English does not translate it well. So we could have assurance, confidence, evidence, evidence of faith. That's probably a bit stronger. Proof of faith, certainty, and the translation that Lynette read, to be sure of faith. But I like unequivocal trust. Trust in what God promises us for the future and trust in the hope we have in God and the proof of his great love for us now and forever. So faith, faith is so foundational, fundamental, because we are saved by faith. We are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. So our salvation hinges on it. And our faith is a gift from God. And here we read in the second slide, and we know this verse really well, don't we? Because the whole church is basically based on it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus Christ is the author and the sustainer of our faith. And we enter the way of life through him, by faith in him. Jesus lives in us as we believe and we live in him. And this is now possible because we have faith, we believe. So we're all here today because God has called us to be here. And wherever we sit on the faith journey, we are right where we're supposed to be. Together we move forward in hope as God leads and guides us. So I'm going to ask you now if you would just sit quietly for a moment, close your eyes if you like, and I'm going to try to bring us close to the nature of faith. Take a moment to try and see or feel your own faith. What it's like. Can you find where it sits in your body or in your mind or in your soul? Can you feel it? How deep is your faith? And the object of your faith. Now I wrote this and at the end you may say to me, you're weird but I'm still going to read it anyway. I'm in the ocean of life. I've paddled into a whirlpool. I start spinning slowly around with the current, falling deeper and deeper into the vastness of this powerful plunging place. Don't worry, the swirling water is not threatening or dangerous. It's warm and life-giving. This warm, spinning whirlpool of life grows into a series of moments 
where the deeper I'm drawn down, the closer I come to the true heart of it all. The true heart is peaceful, solid, trusting, and filled with joyous anticipation. It is powerful and, yes, potentially dangerous. I'm still plunging, moving further from all the scattered complications that were there before on the surface. Still moving and with mounting layers of hopefulness, I'm nearing the plain and simple core where there is assurance, evidence, proof and confidence. Yes, I am where God wants me to be, inside faith, tangible faith, faith that God himself has given to me and faith that God has given you as well. We're all in the place, we are now in the place, where the knowledge of God begins, and that is faith. I hope that helped. Did that help? Good. So I was writing, preparing a sermon on faith, and there was so much. It's such a vast topic. And in the end, God just said, said to me, write this down, which is what I just read. So hopefully we can touch our faith. But now we go to verse 2. And this is what the ancients were commended for. Chapter 11, as Lynette said, is a hall of fame of the heroes of faith in the Old Testament. Not mentioned in this reading were Abel, Enoch, Noah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and then it went to verse 8, which talks about Abraham and Sarah. And there are others too in chapter 11. They were all commended by God for their faith. In verse 4 we read, uh, sorry, verse Eight, we read, by faith, <clears throat> Abraham obeyed when he was called and set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he set out not knowing where he was going. So Abraham heard the call. He was 75 years old. He left his father and his people. He took his wife Sarah and the nephew Lot, all their possessions and all the people that they had acquired in the place called Haran. Verse 9, by faith he stayed for a time in the land he had been promised as in a foreign land, living in tents, as did his son Isaac and his son Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. So I thought part of faith is kind of seeing things which help us feel like it's real sometimes we just read about God and the, the stories of the Bible and it just seems like a nice idea but it is actually totally historically real so I thought we'd go through this up on the screen is the map uh, no we should go back that's the map and you can see 
where they went. So number one is down in the land of Ur, and Abraham's father took them all the way, and that's in modern-day Iraq. And that was really, is in primary school you learn about it being called Mesopotamia, uh, and it's usually told that it's the first place of civilization. We think more of it as the Garden of Eden and thereabouts. Then they travelled up to number two, which is in Turkey, modern-day Turkey. And that's where Abraham was living with his father and that's where the call came. And the call of God came and said, you need to move down into the land of Canaan. So Abraham travels with his family um, to Haran at the, age, at the age of 75. God tells him, go to Canaan. So he listens by faith. He just says, right, that's it, I'm out of here. I'll go to Canaan. So at number three up there you can see Canaan, uh, which is modern-day Israel. Abraham builds an altar to God in Shechem, his first stop in the land. And here God also promises Abraham that the land will be given to his descendants. From there he moves to number four. Yep, and you can see that there. It's a little bit further down into the land of Canaan. And Abraham builds an altar to God and calls out his name. Number five, which is over in Egypt, there's a famine. So in order to famine, uh, escape the famine, Abraham travels over to Egypt. Number six is a bit hard to see because it's underneath number nine on the map. But upon returning from Egypt, Abraham settles in the southern part of Canaan. And that's where his nephew Lot chooses to settle in the fertile Jordan Valley. And Abraham moves to Eloni Mamre. And there'll be a picture later of the sort of ruins of these places. Number seven, in order to experience as much of the land as possible and spread awareness of God's existence to as many people as he can, Abraham moves once again and settles in Gerar. And in Beersheba, number eight, Abraham plants a tree and again calls out in God's name, spreading awareness of the Lord throughout the land. He returns to Beersheba after the binding of Isaac. And number nine, finally, when Sarah dies, for the first time, Abraham buys a little bit of land. So he's lived and traveled all the way and made his home all the way in Canaan, but he's never, he's a very rich and powerful man, he's never bought any land, except this little bit, which he used to be buried in and to bury his wife in. Okay, so number six there, the next slide. So, yep, that's a picture of Shechem, which was one of the early places he went. It's an old wall and it's still there. Number seven. This is the ruins of, it's actually called Hebron these days, but Elenoi Mamre was where he went several times. Next one, 
This is Girard. That's a nice field in Girard. And lastly, this is the Negev Desert, just e east of Beersheba where he settled for a time. So they're real places, real places. Abraham went to all these, and that's been going on now for about 4,000 years. The whole time that they lived, uh, the whole time they lived in tents and never bought land or set up a permanent home. Abraham lived amongst the many tribes and became well-known and powerful. But for Abraham, there was more. And in verse 10 we read, For he looked forward to the city that has foundations and whose architect and builder is God. I guess what that means is that Abraham stepped out in faith and lived as a sojourner in this foreign land. He never owned any of the property, the promised property, other than the tiny burial plot where he and Sarah were laid to rest. There are those who could argue that God failed to give his servant the land of Canaan. That was promised to Abraham and his seed forever. But the final chapter of the story had not yet, or had yet to be lived out. For Abraham was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. In other words, Abraham was looking forward to the future heavenly reality. Now I'm going to cut from my little blurb here and talk to you about what happened with Hugh this morning. So Hugh walked in and within about 10 seconds we were talking about Hudson Taylor, who was the great missionary who went to China. Now I was going to include a, a, a section on him in this, but I, I left it out because it was just getting too long. So Hudson Taylor went to China, and Hugh was telling me the story, and I'd been reading about it this week, uh, as a missionary, and he had a really hard time of it. He had two wives die over there. He went there, and he had his wife and kids. There was an uprising. They were killed. He went back to England. He went to America. He gathered... Um, helpers came back to China and spent his life as a missionary in China. Now, when he died, there had been small gain. There were only a small number of people who had become Christians in China. So poor old Hudson Taylor spent his whole lifetime as a missionary dedicated to God's word in China and never really saw the fruit of his work. But do you know how many Christians there are in China now? It's, it's hard for them to tell, but they say between 20 and 100 million, so they're basically saying around 60 million, which is more than France and Germany combined. So the point is that we wait for the heavenly promise. What we're doing here on earth, sure, it's important. But the true value, the true significance, the true hope is the heavenly hope. So, verse 11, 
By faith, he received power of procreation, even though he was too old. And Sarah herself was barren because he considered him faithful who had promised. So in their old age, Abraham was about 100. Sarah gave birth to their son, Isaac. And there's a lot more we could say about that. But we'll move on. Verse 12, from there one person, and this one, as good as dead, descendants from, from this person, descendants were born as many as the stars of heaven and the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. All of these died in faith without having received the promises, but from a distance they saw and greeted them. They confessed they were strangers and foreigners on earth. And don't we as Christians often, sometimes often, feel like strangers and foreigners here? Don't we? Yeah, I see heads nodding. For people who speak in this way make it clear they are seeking a homeland and if they had been thinking of the land they had left behind, they would have had opportunity to return. And this is an important verse. But as it is, they desired a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, he has prepared a city for them or for us. Abraham lived a belief that the promises of God have an eternal perspective as, like us, he looks forward to the new Jerusalem, to the new heaven and the new earth and the eternal ages to come when the kingdom has been restored to the Father and the Son, Christ Jesus rules and reigns in righteousness and peace. They had no scriptures at that time. Writing and reading were just in their infancy, just being invented. So their faith came from believing in the promises of God. If they didn't see the promises fulfilled in their lifetimes, they still believed beyond the grave. Their endurance and hope was not bound by time or life and death. They looked forward to the eternal heavenly country and here is a profound lesson for us so when we get discouraged when we think oh it's not working out what's God doing this is a profound lesson for us is it not look to eternity endure today's hopes will soon pass our endurance and hope are not bound by time or even life and death we too Look forward to the eternal heavenly country. And when Jesus came, he taught faith, not works, mercy, not sacrifice. And there we see um, Paul explaining it in Galatians 3, 7. He says, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. And in Matthew 
9.13 we read, Jesus then admonished the Pharisees, go and learn what this means, he said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So how does this apply to us? Well, the simple reduced reality for us regarding faith is that we are justified and saved by faith in Jesus Christ. The promises of God are fulfilled in Jesus. We are saved from trusting our lives and choices to our own strength and turning instead to God for our strength. As we admit our sinfulness and surrender to God, he saves us from guilty condemnation and forgives our sins eternally, not just in this life. This salvation gives us freedom to be merciful and to love. Okay, moving back now to verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. I wonder if you need to go up there now, Dave. Because <laughs> we've got a video, a short video coming up. Um, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. It's quite a difficult verse, I think. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And in Romans 1.20 we read, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So now we've got a, a short video, it's only about four minutes, and I want to see if you can identify what is seen and what is unseen, and the connection between the two. And I think I've got to do a small filler while they're trying to get it up. Uh, of course, Damo's not here this weekend, is he? Yeah. He's camping in somewhere. He's camping out in somewhere, coding up. Um, and I did speak to him. Uh oh, looks like we might have action. Here we go. First this, God created the heavens and earth, all you see, all you don't see. Earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness, an inky blackness. God's spirit brooded like a bird above the watery abyss. God spoke, light, and light appeared. God saw that light was good and separated light from dark. God named the light day, he named the dark night. It was evening, it was morning, day one. God spoke, sky, in the middle of the waters, separate water from water. God made sky. He separated the water under sky from the water above sky. And there it was. He named sky the heavens. It was evening, it was morning, day two. God spoke, separate water beneath heaven, gather into one place, land, appear, and there it was. 
God named the land Earth. He named the pooled water Ocean. God saw that it was good. God spoke, Earth, green up, grow all varieties of seed-bearing plants, every sort of fruit-bearing tree. And there it was. Earth produced green, seed-bearing plants, all varieties, and fruit-bearing trees of all sorts. God saw that it was good. It was evening, it was morning, day three. God spoke, lights, come out, shine in heaven's sky, separate day from night, mark seasons and days and years, lights in heaven's sky to give light to earth. And there it was. God made two big lights, the larger to take charge of day, the smaller to be in charge of night. And he made the stars. God placed them in the heavenly sky to light up earth and oversee day and night, to separate light and dark. God saw that it was good. It was evening. It was morning. Day four. God spoke, swarm, ocean, with fish and all sea life. Birds fly through the sky over earth. God created the huge whales, all the swarm of life in the waters, and every kind and species of flying birds. God saw that it was good. God blessed them. Prosper, reproduce, fill ocean. Birds, reproduce on earth. It was evening. It was morning. Day five. God spoke. Earth, generate life, every sort and kind, cattle and reptiles and wild animals, all kinds. And there it was, wild animals of every kind, cattle of all kinds, every sort of reptile and bug. God saw that it was good. God spoke, let us make human beings in our image, make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself, and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. God created human beings. He created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. God blessed them, prosper, reproduce, fill earth, take charge, be responsible for fish in the sea and birds in the air, for every living thing that moves on the face of earth. Then God said, I've given you every sort of seed-bearing plant on earth and every kind of fruit-bearing tree, given them to you for food, to all animals and all birds, everything that moves and breathes. I give whatever grows out of the ground for food. And there it was. God looked over everything he had made. It was so good, so very good. It was evening. It was morning, day six. Heaven and earth were finished, down to the last detail. By the seventh day, God had finished his work. On the seventh day, he rested from all his work. God blessed the seventh day. He made it a holy day, because on that day, he rested from his work, all the creating God had done. This is the story of how it all started, of heaven and earth, when they were created. That was a good break from me. There was a time <clears throat> I was talking with a young person about God. She was a uni student with a really sharp mind. She enjoyed debating just about anything. 
I told her straight up, I believe in God. Do you believe in God? And she proceeded to come up with a series of well-constructed arguments and she respectfully entered into debate about believing in God. These are the, some of the classic arguments. The universe is so expansively, infinitely huge, there is every probability that the world and the universe came about by a chance. <laughs> I mean, after watching that, you know, the imagery on the video, I just, it just leaves me dumbfounded that they could say that they can't see the intelligence of God, the creative wonder. Anyway, that's what, that's what she believed. And then she said, what if your faith is just a human construct to help you feel better? What if your belief is just a product of conditioning from school or childhood? What if the Bible is just a storybook and you've been conned into believing it? And this is the classic, she said. What if God does not exist but actually you, yourself, are God? So after some to and fro reasonings and counter arguments, which ultimately went nowhere, all I could say as a final affirmation of faith was this. I know it's true. In the very depth of my being, there is an unshakable reality that is as sure as life itself. The Lord is my God and I am his. Jesus lives in me and I live in him. Now, this kind of assurance may seem obvious to, to you believers. Others may be not so sure and then we may go through stages in life where our faith carries different weight and contexts. But the miracle of God is that he can speak and creation happens. He can think and the world is born. God is so powerful, all-powerful, ever-present and knowing everything. His will and his delight is to create. His delight is to create. He creates nothing into something, invisible into visible. And Jesus' miracles were signs and wonders for faith, for belief. Coming up on the screen, Thomas doubted. And eventually, when he saw him after he'd risen, he said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's us. And then in John 15, 16, we read, You did not choose me. I chose you. This is Jesus speaking. I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. So I'm going to conclude. I actually have another 10 minutes worth, but I'm going to, uh, I'm not going to go there. Because I wanted to, to try to kind of describe 
the process of speaking to someone and the way conversion can happen, accepting Christ, believing in Christ, confessing Christ, repenting and then surrendering to Jesus as Lord and Saviour. That's how it can work and we can help people through that, through prayer, through speaking the word. So, Romans 10, 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through word, the word about Jesus Christ. So what about this uni student or any other unbelieving person? If it is God who gives faith, can we facilitate that process? Well, obviously, of course, yes, we can. Jesus sends us into all the world to spread the good news of the gospel. We're all part of his great commission. Are we stepping out in faith? Are we reaching the unsaved in Margaret River? That's rhetorical, but you can answer it for yourself. I don't know, are we? Is the old and existing church model working? Are we stuck? in self-defeating and limiting patterns? Is God about to open up a whole new vision? I think he is. We've waited a long time, and like the saints of old, we look beyond our lifetimes. But in faith, with faith, that is filled with the assurance of what we hope for, and conviction in the work of the unseen God, well, anything can happen. Lord, bring it on. Let's pray. Lord, I've tried to talk about the faith you've given us today. I hope that in doing so, we are inspired. In doing so, we are reaffirmed that again we look forward, we wait for your leading, for your guidance. We pray with a great hopefulness and assurance that you will bring the town into the church, that you will cause awakening, revelation, that you will stir up the secular world, the secular town, to receive faith in you through Christ by the Holy Spirit. And we ask, Lord, that as a church here in Margaret River, we will respond appropriately, that we can walk out in faith, step forward in faith, to do what you need us to do. Because we know that when we do your work, in your way, we will not lack supply. And we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for our faith. Amen. You coming back up, Lynette? No, Lynette's done. I'm done. We're done. Thank you for coming today. Bless you all. <laughs>